So for those of you who don't know me, my name is Kevin Hodge. I am one of the elders here at uh, LifePoint Church. And you may be asking, like, where is Phil? Is everything okay? Because he missed uh, two weeks ago. Well, uh, two weeks ago was not planned. Uh, Phil was, he was sick, and so Mike graciously filled the, decided to fill in for him, and we appreciated him doing that. This was planned. Um, if y'all may remember, before Phil went out with his heart attack, about every two months or so, uh, the elders tried to step in and do some teaching for him to give him time to study more, to focus on some other ministry things. Just take one thing off his plate. And uh, so we, him coming back, we just all enjoyed listening to him, and we kind of forgot that we really did that. And then thankfully, David decided, you know, hey, we, we probably need to get back on that routine again. So, so we had planned this, and so here we are, uh, here I am today, and uh, teaching for Phil. But uh, it's just a, it's an honor to be up here. But I tell you what, it is a, a very humbling experience to get up here and do this and to stand in yeah, where he stands. And, uh, and I've said this before, I don't think there's anything that humbles me more, though, than than my family. They're a, they're a very encouraging group, but uh, they also, they also hump, keep me uh, level-headed. So uh, I'll share a story for you. We, um, so Caleb went to a concert a couple of weeks ago, and they had floor seats, and he wanted to get in the very front. And so they got up at a very early hour, drove up to the concert venue, and stood in line pretty much all day to get in and get to the front. And uh, I was sitting around during the day just thinking, how in the world is he doing that? Hot on the sidewalk, waiting in line with all his friends. And I, I was just kind of, I guess you could call it whining a little bit. I was kind of whining to, to Chelsea and, and Lisa about, I can't believe he's doing that. There's no way I could do that. And on and on and on. And finally, Chelsea, because she likes to defend Caleb, uh, she, she jumps in and says, Dad, you know, really, young people don't see that as an inconvenience. <laughs> Oh, it gets better. She says, only old and cranky people do. <laughs> That's right. So, so uh, apparently, Chelsea doesn't think I should go to the young adults gathering tonight. So, um, so I will not be headed there. Um, but no, I do have a, a little bit of mileage under me. So that she's, she's 50% right. I'm not cranky, though, okay? I'm not, no, no, no comments from the back, okay? Not cranky, not cranky. All right, not cranky, but I do do have a few years under me. But uh, but no, they uh, they're great. They encourage me all the time, but they also kind of keep me in my place, especially my daughter. So, uh, but no, love love her. <laughs> Yay, Chelsea! <laughs> uh, for those of you online, you just they just said Kevin, you're great. All right, so okay. <laughs> uh, all right, well let's go ahead and dive in. So many of you remember this from 2010. Uh, so we all were mesmerized by this. The Chilean miners that were, kept, were trapped down in that mine in Chile for like, like almost 70 days. And if you'll remember that, that thing, we were, we were watching on TV, watching it unfold, and after 70 days, they got all 33 miners out. And it was just an incredible, incredible feat And watching everything that had to go into that to rescue those miners. There was a man down there, and many of you will remember this. His name was Jose Henriquez. And he became sort of the default pastor of the group of miners in there because he was a believer. And right when they realized they were trapped after the explosion, they all came together and they asked Jose to be their prayer leader to pray for them. And one of the first things Jose said is, because he knew they had a lot of different faiths represented there, he said, I serve a living God. And if we're going to pray, you're going to pray to my God. We're all going to join together and pray to my living God. And so they all did. They all let him lead, and they prayed. 
And he said as they were down there, obviously those first few days were pretty desperate. They didn't know if they were ever going to be found. I think if I read this correctly, they said on like day 10, they could hear a drill coming through above them or to the side of them, and it missed the area they were in. And then they heard the drill, I guess, pull out. And there was just despair that came over them because they're thinking they tried to find us in this area and they didn't. Are they going to try again? And said many of the guys down there started writing letters, last letters, wills, because uh, it was just a very desperate time for them. And Jose said afterwards, he was telling a report of this, he said, I told him, I said, no, don't, don't do this. Let's just pray. Let's trust God to do what he wants to do with us. They weren't sure how or if they were going to be rescued at that time. That was day 10. They still had not been found. But Jose had hope because he knew he served a living Savior who could rescue them. He served a living Savior who could rescue them. And because he had hope, he led those miners daily in praying, and Jesus became their 34th miner. That's what they reported when they came out. And I just thought that was so cool. Interesting enough, on day 17, a drill finally found an area where they were. They attached a note to it. The drill came out, and it said, we're all alive. And then it started the process of rescuing them. And when Jose came out, when they brought all those 33 miners out, he came out, he experienced, he was able to proclaim that he served a living God, a living Savior, who can. Who can, and many times he does. He can and he does. And I tell you what, when you think about hope, hope is a powerful, powerful thing for us. Hope is huge. And I tell you, I know just from church and praying and hearing things in elder meetings, I know there's a lot of us that are going through a lot of challenges right now. I mean, just in some heavy, heavy stuff. Um, And some of us have been through challenges. But today, I want us just to look at a passage uh, that's going to be very familiar to you. And I, I just, my prayer is that we look at this and that we'll just be reminded of the hope we have in a Savior who can conquer those challenges we're going through. There's hope in a Savior who can, the Savior we serve, a Savior who can. So would you go ahead and turn to the book of Mark with me, to Mark chapter 5. And I will uh, apologize for those uh, who may not have their Bibles with me. I do not have the slide, uh, the scripture on slides, so you'll have to use your Bibles or your phones or your iPads. Uh, and I'm going to be reading from the English Standard Version. And as we work through this passage, there's, there's going to be three things I believe this passage is going to teach us, and I'm going to hit on each of those, but I want to, I want to start just in verse 1. And this is going to be the healing of the demoniac. Very, very familiar passage. There's also um, passages in Matthew and in Luke, Matthew 8 Matthew, and Luke 8, that basically kind of have a shortened version of this, of this miracle here. But I wanted to focus on, on this one since it was the most, the most detailed. So let's pick up in verse 1. Chapter 5 of Mark. They came to the other side of the sea, to the country of the Gerasenes. And I want to just pause right there. Let me turn my little clicker on here because I want to see a slide. So that's going to be very, very hard to see, but I don't need you to look at very much into the details of that. I always like to kind of lay the location out for everyone as we study Scripture. So this is taking place on the Sea of Galilee up there at the top. You can see Judea got Samaria, and then you got Galilee. So this is taking place on the shore of the Sea of Galilee. 
Some of your versions may call it a lake. Um, Luke called it the Lake of Gennesaret. And if you see, Gennesaret is actually a little town up on the north, I guess it's the northwest side of that, of the Sea of Galilee. So Luke actually, in his gospel, referred to it as the Lake of Gennesaret. And what I wanted to highlight here is the, the location is the way it's been laid out here in Scripture. They say, go from the other side of Galilee to the country of the Gerasenes. You, depending on your, your passage, your your scripture there, whether you're using you know, the King James or the English Standard Version or whatever, you could have three different names listed there. You could have the country of the Gerasenes, the country of the Gadarenes. You could even have something called the country of the Gergesenes. And actually, they all relate to this general area here. So if your passage says the country of the Gerasenes, that's the little town way down at the bottom there, Gerasa, the country of Gerasa, the country of the Gerasenes. If it says the Gadarenes, it's the area around Gadara, right there in the middle. And then for those that say the country of the Gergesenes, it's the area around Gergasa, which is right there on the eastern shore of the Sea of Galilee, which is really where this event took place. But each writer kind of describes it differently based on who they're talking to and how it's interpreted. It's no different than someone asks me, Kevin, where are you from? And there in California, I'll say I'm from South Carolina. If I'm talking to someone from South Carolina, I'll say I'm from Spartanburg. That's where I grew up. If I talk to someone who's from Spartanburg, I'll say I grew up in Roebuck because they know where Roebuck is. Uh, it's kind of the same thing. It's all just basically saying this took place on that side of the Sea of Galilee. A lot of people will try to throw this out here as something in Scripture that is inaccurate, and that's just a false accusation. So just wanted to highlight that for you before we dig in a little further. One thing I do want to talk, mention is that this miracle is taking place right after Jesus has crossed the Sea of Galilee from Galilee over to the country of the Gerasenes, and he had just calmed the sea. So the disciples have just seen him calm the sea, and so here they are coming across the sea for this. So let's pick up now. In verse 2, actually, the first thing I want to point out is the first thing I think this passage actually teaches us, and there's going to be three of them. With Jesus, there is always hope for the hopeless. With Jesus, there is always hope for the hopeless. Let's look there in verse 2. And when Jesus had stepped out of the boat, Immediately they met, there met him out of the tombs, a man with an unclean spirit. He lived among the tombs, and no one could bind him any more, not even with a chain. For he had often been bound with shackles and chains, but he wrenched the chains apart, and he broke the shackles in pieces. No one had strength to subdue him. Night and day among the tombs and on the mountains, he was always crying out and cutting himself with stones. I just want to pause right there. Think about this, this man. He is in a hopeless, hopeless situation. I mean, he's crying out. He's cutting himself with stones night and day. If you look at Luke's account, Luke says he doesn't even have clothes on. He's unclothed. And then Matthew even says he's so fierce that no one could even get by him. I mean, this is one messed up, scary dude. I mean, he is it's rough. These unclean spirits had just made a mess of him, a mess of him. And as a result, he was an outcast to his society here. They wouldn't let him live in the city. 
He was out there in the tombs and in the mountains. And not only that, but the townspeople had tried to bind him. Now, I don't know if they tried to bind him just to protect him from himself because everything he was doing to himself, or if they had just bound him to keep him out of the town. But could you imagine how humiliating that would be for the people of your town to bind you up because they don't want you around? And, you know, you sit there and you look, man, he was just dealing with such a desperate situation and a situation that he just could not change on his own, not at all. He was in a desperate situation that he couldn't change on his own. And it's so easy for us to just read that and just think, oh, that's demons, he was just messed up, blah, 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 and not really think about how it really relates to us. But if you just stop and think about his condition, he's desperate for help, he's in a hopeless situation, and he's enslaved to something that can't be changed on his own. And if you just kind of take a step back and think about those things, many of us could raise our hand right now and say, you know what? I'm in that same boat. I am in that same boat. We're not running around maybe naked and cutting ourselves and all that stuff, but we're in situations that we're just desperate for help, whether it's an illness or just life has been difficult. We're in situations where it just seems hopeless, a marriage that's struggling, kids far from Jesus. We're just struggling with a specific sin that we just can't overcome. It consumes us, consumes our minds, consumes our thoughts, you name it. And there's pain, and there's sadness, guilt, you name it. I mean, there's just all sorts of emotions. And when we pray over here on Wednesday nights, we hear that. We know there's pain in people's lives. We see the tears. They see my tears. um, Because we know people are hurting. They're struggling. There's just so much out there that that this sinful world brings our way that we are all just desperate in need of something greater than ourselves to intervene. We need something greater than ourselves to intervene. Just like this man, we need Jesus just like this man did. And desperately need Jesus just like this man did. Let's look at verse, let's pick back up verse 6. And when he saw Jesus from afar, he ran and fell down before him. And crying out with a loud voice, he said, what have you to do with me, Jesus, Son of the Most High God? Now, I don't know if the, the man brought, came, the demon was there with him, obviously, or if the demon basically brought the guy there, however it worked. Either way, once he got before Jesus, the demon was speaking. What have you to do with me, Jesus, Son of the Most High God? I adjure you by God, do not torment me. For Jesus was saying to him, come out of the man, you unclean spirit. And Jesus asked him, what is your name? And he replied, my name is Legion. Now, if you remember, Legion is a representation of the Romans at that time of 6,000 soldiers. That doesn't necessarily mean there's 6,000 demons in the sky, but it means there's more than one. There's many. My name is Legion, for we are many. And he begged him earnestly not to send them out of the country. Now, a great herd of pigs was feeding there on the hillside, and they begged him, saying, send us to the pigs. Let us enter them. So he gave them permission And the unclean spirits came out and entered the pigs and the herd, numbering about 2,000, and rushed down the steep bank into the sea and drowned in the sea. In those verses right there, there's two things that emerge. One is just Jesus' love for this man when he showed up. I mean, just think about it. He comes across that ocean, comes across the sea, the lake, whatever you want to call it. He comes across. He doesn't run. He doesn't try to go around them, didn't get back in the boat. In fact, he crossed the Sea of Galilee for this man specifically. 
He is coming there intentionally for him. And then think about the importance of him asking him his name. This is Jesus. This is God. He knows what he's dealing with. He knows legions and demons and all that stuff because he controls them. So he knows what's going on here. But he asked him, what is your name? Asking his name revealed to everyone out there watching and listening and seeing what was going on. It revealed the spiritual battle that was at hand. This was dealing with demons and the depths of what this man had been dealing with. And that question just opened up a door for everyone listening that this man was not the problem. The enemy was. This man was not the problem. The enemy was. It was a spiritual battle. And further, think about this. Think about what Jesus didn't ask him. He didn't ask him why he has the unclean spirit or how he got the unclean spirit. Of course, he's God. He knows that. But he didn't make that a point because Jesus wasn't there to condemn him for his past. He was there to provide a future for him. He wasn't there to condemn him for his past. He was there to provide a future for him. That is love on a huge, huge scale. And that is the Jesus we serve. The second thing, not only his love, but the power over the enemy that Jesus displays right here. I mean, these demons immediately run up and they bow before him and they scream, do not torment me. I think Luke records them saying they begged him not to depart into the abyss. And then I want to say it's Matthew's version that made some comment like, um, basically, do not, do not torment us until the appointed time. They already know when the appointed time is, when they're going to get, they're going to get it handed to them. <laughs> it reminds me of, uh, uh, yeah, this is, I was running this by my family last night, and they were like, Dad, no one says this anymore. But um, this was back when I used to do ath- athletic stuff. Believe it or not, I did play sports. And then we would, um, if someone was dominating you, we would say, who's your daddy? You know, who's, just, who's your daddy? And um, so I, I thought about that. Like, they know who their daddy is right here. They're already down before him. They know who their daddy is. And there's no doubt about it. So he, he immediately sees these demons are down. And then he watches them as Jesus says, get out of here. Get out of this man. Get over there. Go away. He saw him sent away saw Jesus' power over those enemy, over the enemy. And it exposed the enemy's true purpose, especially the fact that Jesus allowed them to go into the pigs, and then the pigs go rushing down into the Sea of Galilee. I can't imagine what that must have looked like, that thundering heard, and then all of a sudden straight one after the other in the sea, and then 2,000 floating pigs just bobbing up and down, you know, in that Sea of Galilee. I can't, I can't imagine what that would have, would have been like. But it exposed the enemy's true purpose, and that is to destroy. If he couldn't destroy that man, the enemy was going to go out there and it's going to destroy those pigs. And he did. And it just reminds, reminds me of this verse here in 1 Peter 5 8 about our enemy. Be sober-minded, be watchful. Your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion, seeking someone to devour. I mean, that's a, that's a tough scripture when you sit there and look at that, what we face. It's a spiritual battle. But then, here's the hope. 1 John 4, 3 and 4 reminds us that every spirit does not confess Jesus is not from God. 
This is the spirit of the Antichrist, which you heard was coming and is now in the world already. Little children, you are from God and have overcome them. For he who is in you is greater than he who is in the world. Amen to that. Isn't that awesome? Because it can be scary when you just think about that spiritual battle, the enemy we face. It can be overwhelming. But then when you shift your eyes and look at Jesus, our Savior, hope, who controls the enemy, whoo, I'm going over there. He's my man because uh, he, he controls that. And this man experienced Jesus' love and experienced his power over the enemy, and he was set free. And that was a beautiful, beautiful thing. And I tell you, this passage right here, just through these first 13 verses, it just reminds me um, that whatever situation we're dealing with, that Jesus loves me, he loves you, and he has the power to provide for us. He has the power to forgive us, to restore us, to heal us, to set us free from the grasp of the enemy. He has the power and the love to do that because he can. He is the only one that can. He can do that. And why can he do that? Because he loves you. He lived a perfect life for you. He died for you. He was raised from the dead for you. And he offers his gift of salvation to you. And that's just such a beautiful, beautiful thing that I never want to, I don't ever want us to forget as a church what, what Jesus has done for us, the gospel. And then how he just gives that free gift to us. Romans 10, 9 says that if you confess with your mouth Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the grave, you will be saved. Make him Lord of your life. Follow him. Turn from your sin. And because of his love and his power, we can experience his provision, his forgiveness, his healing, and he can set us free from any sin entangling us. Now, I want to just pause here because we know we always have to submit to his plans. And Isaiah reminds us that God's ways are not our ways. God has a plan. And I tell you what, we know that not all healings take place on this earth. Some of them take place in heaven. And we know that God doesn't remove every obstacle in our life. You think about Paul and the thorn in the flesh um, that stayed with Paul his entire time, but they were for his good. He said they were for his good, and everything God does is for our good, even if we don't understand it. However, I think my fear is that too often we come before him not really believing that Jesus can. We come before him thinking he will not not believing that he does. But the scriptures remind us over and over that Jesus does and that Jesus can. He can heal that marriage. He can heal that disease. He can overcome that sin. He can save that family member. And you know what? When I think about that and I look at the scripture, that just gives me hope. It gives me hope. And yesterday we were, we were talking in our elder meeting and something was said, and I won't go into details on that, but it was in a way, it was an it was a small answer to something we had been praying for probably well over a year on Wednesday nights over here. And when it was said, y'all know me, I can cry at the drop of a bucket. You know, I just start bawling. Yeah, well, I got tissues over there just in case. But, they, um, but when, he, when they said, when it was shared with me what, what had happened, I was all I could do not to cry, just thinking about, yeah, God's hearing. He's leading us to pray in a way that he's getting ready to move. And that just so encouraged me. And uh, and I just share that for y'all because there's hope. There is hope. He is 
doing stuff. Jesus can do stuff. He brings hope to the hopeless. He brings hope for all of us. And it's just so encouraging when God just kind of opens your eyes a little bit and says, hey, this is what I'm doing. Wow. You, you do hear us. You are doing something. Thank you, Father. Thank you. He can. He can. All right. Let's move on. The second thing that this passage teaches us is fear can prevent us from experiencing Jesus. Fear can prevent us from experiencing Jesus. Let's look at verse 14 there. Verse 14 through 17. The herdsmen fled and told it in the city and in the country. And people came to see what it was that had happened. And they came to Jesus and saw the demon-possessed man, the one who had had the legion, sitting there, clothed and in his right mind, and they were afraid. Something extraordinary had happened, and they were afraid. And honestly, if we were there, we would probably be afraid too. And those who had seen it described to them what had happened to the demon-possessed man and to the pigs. I'm going to come back to that, and to the pigs. And they begin to beg Jesus to depart from their region. They begin to beg Jesus to depart from their region. Let's just pause there. The townspeople, they had heard what had happened to the man. They were told what had happened, were told what had happened to the man, but they were also told what had happened to the pigs. They were told both those things. Can you imagine they come up, they walk up here, and they say three things. They say, here's this man, probably having a special moment right there with the disciples and Jesus and others, probably just hugs, tears. Maybe they're bandaging up some of his wounds from cutting himself. I, I don't know. Maybe they've already found clothes for him, so he's actually clothed and looks normal. He's just probably just sitting there just in awe of what Jesus just did, just in his presence. I don't know. If it would be me, I'd be just clinging to Jesus' feet, just saying, oh, thank you. Thank you, Lord. And then there's Jesus, strength, hope, life. Everything those townspeople desperately long for is standing right before them, right there in their presence. And then, over there in the Sea of Galilee, you can't avoid it, it's 2,000 pigs floating up and down that represented their livelihood, their wealth, great loss to them right there before them. And, you know, it would be no different than us praying for someone to be saved and the result of that person being saved, our company that we had built, our wealth or whatever just goes away immediately. That would be hard. It would be hard. So I don't want to negate what these people were feeling. And they were afraid. I mean, they were afraid. Luke says they were seized with great fear because something out of the ordinary had just happened. I mean, you don't just see this guy that we've known our entire life, all of a sudden, in his right mind, and then see 2,000 pigs no longer alive. That doesn't happen every day. They were seized with great fear. But they had a choice, and this is key. They had a choice. So here is Jesus, the one who can bring healing, restoration, the one who can show them true life, who could ultimately point them to the Father, the Jesus who actually could bring 2,000 more pigs to that area if he desired. They have Jesus or they have their normal. I want to go back to my normal. 
I want my pigs back. I want my pigs back. And so out of fear, as you see there in Scripture, they chose the life they had over the life they could have. They made a choice. You know what? I want my normal. I don't want Jesus. Which is weird because they were okay with the demons occupying a man and disrupting their lives so much so they were doing everything they could to keep him out of the town. But they were not okay with Jesus' disruption. They were not okay with what Jesus stepped in and did. Because this had gotten personal for them. Now, that man, they could just stick out in the hills, try to bind him, keep him away. Yeah, we'll just avoid that area, not take the kids over there. Don't look that way, kids, just walk by, all that good stuff. But with Jesus, there's our livelihood floating up and down over there. He exposed their, their hearts. He exposed where their true love was. And you know what? It makes me pause and think about what, what if God... We pray for this all the time, for God to move, and, to, and he's always working. We know that. But what if God decided to move in a way we didn't expect and required like a, an immediate pivot in our lives? What, what, if he did, what if he did that? Would we be ready? Would Jesus be greater than our fears and whatever belongings we have or wealth or anything like that? Or would we say, nope, I really want my normal I just want to come to church for an hour and a half on Sunday morning. I'm going to go home, take my Sunday afternoon nap, and do my work thing the rest of the week. We say, you know what, I really just want my normal. Would we be willing to say yes if we had to quit a job or move somewhere else or give up some of your me time or do something outside of your comfort zone? Francis Chan, in his book, Forgotten God, which is about the Holy Spirit, he, he shares a story about a couple named Dave and Lynn Phillips who started the Children's Hunger Fund. And he talks about how God has started working on their, their hearts about bringing relief to suffering children. And this was about like, I think, 1991, 92 time frame. And what was interesting is God was working in their lives to do that. One of the fears that Dave had was, if I do this, that means I have to get up in front of people and talk. And I'm scared to death of doing that. And we all can relate to that. I, it's scary to be up here talking in front of you sometimes. So it's, it's the same thing. There was fear there. But he completely yielded to God, and he trusted him. Yes, he had to get up in front of people and speak, but God gave him the strength to do that. And as a result, he experienced Jesus working in ways that he would have never experienced had he not trusted him. That book was written, I think, in 2009, so this would have been, I guess, 20 years after they were almost 20 years after they were called. And it said that by 2009, they distributed more than $950 million in food and other relief to more than 10 million kids in 70 countries in 32 states. They had just done that. And I don't know what they've done by now. God showed up, moved in their, their lives. They submitted to him and not their fears. And look what God did. And I tell you, we pray for revival, pray for God to move. But maybe now's a good time for us just to really, as a church, to ask the Holy Spirit just to show us if deep down do we really desire him or do we desire our pigs? Do we desire him or our pigs? And God's been working in my life on that. We've shared that on Wednesday nights that, God, do I desire you? Do I desire you, the healer, more than the healing? Do I desire, is that my heart's desire? And he's working on me there. I'm not completely there yet, in all honesty, but he's working on me. But now is the time to prepare ourselves. So when God does decide to move, 
in a way maybe we don't expect it, we're ready to say yes to Jesus and no to our pigs. Jesus can bring hope to the hopeless, but we need to be careful that our fears don't prevent us from experiencing him, which leads us to the the last point. With Jesus, there's always, and I mean always, a message to proclaim. With Jesus, there is always a message to proclaim. Verse 18 through 20. As he was getting to the boat, the man who had been possessed with demons begged him that he might be with him. And he did not permit him, but said to him, Go home to your friends and tell them how much the Lord has done for you and how he has had mercy on you. And he went away and began to proclaim in the Decapolis how much Jesus had done for him. And everyone marveled. I absolutely love verse 18. It says, as he was getting into the boat, the man who had been possessed with demons. That's so beautiful because Jesus had changed his identity. The man who had been possessed by the demons. And Jesus can change our identity. He can change your identity. And it just goes back to that beautiful passage from 2 Corinthians 5.17. If anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. He can change our identity from addict to being filled with Jesus, from slave to pornography to slave of Jesus, from a messed up marriage to a marriage that glorifies Christ, from a foul mouth to a mouth that praises Jesus, or just if you're a selfish meanie to a giver of Jesus' love. I figured I'd catch everybody there, the selfish meanie went at the end. So um, it just, when God does stuff, when he changes us, changes our identity, it gives us a message to proclaim. It gives us a message proclaimed. And Jesus told us, go, tell them how much the Lord has done for you. Because he wanted to be with Jesus. Who wouldn't? What Jesus just did in his life. But he says, go. Go tell them what the Lord has done for you. Jesus had crossed that sea, not for that man to come back with him. He had crossed that sea to change this man's identity from a demon-possessed man to an evangelist to a group of people that were kicking him out. The people that were kicking him out, those townspeople, Jesus still loved them so much, he said, man, go and be a witness to them because they still need me. And as you go proclaim what God has done in your life, how you've been healed, they're going to remember your previous state and you're going to be a powerful witness for me. Isn't that just cool? And it says as he went and did that, everyone marveled. Everyone marveled. God had his plan. Jesus came. He crossed that sea, cast demons out of one man, and that man goes to the capitalist to be a missionary. Just a beautiful, beautiful thing. 1 Peter 2.9 says, But you are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people belonging to God, that you may declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his wonderful light. I tell you, when you think about proclaiming what Jesus has done, we all have that. Those that have made him Lord and Savior, we can declare the praises of him who called us out of darkness into his wonderful light. And you don't, and that's just simple evangelism. 
And I tell you what, I love it when I talk to many of you, uh, whether in gatherings outside of church, even here after church. And I do a very poor job of this, I confess. But so many of you, you'll, your interactions with me, you talk about, this is what God did this week in my life. This is how he blessed me. And I just sit there and I think, you know, that's, that's proclaiming what God has done. And when people that don't know him, when they don't know Jesus and they hear that, it does make them perk up. Hmm, this Jesus you serve, this God, he did that. They may not come out and say that to you, but it goes in their minds. Now, they still may refuse to believe it, but it's there. Simply proclaiming what Jesus has done for you. For those who follow Jesus, there is always a message to proclaim. And I just love that. I just love this passage and just how it lays it all out there for us. Because with Jesus, there is always hope for the hopeless. We're reminded to focus on him and not our fears. And with Jesus, there is always, always a message to proclaim. Back in early January, in one of our elder meetings, we were going through a question. We were just, we, there was actually four questions we were just kind of talking about. And one of them was, if LifePoint was exactly the church God wanted us to be, what would that look like? If LifePoint was exactly the church God wanted us to be, what would that look like? And, you know, we could answer that a host of different ways. Um, but I, as I read and prepared for this sermon and looked at this scripture, I think one way that we could answer that would be a group of believers who live each day knowing Jesus can, who are learning to focus on him and not our fears, and who joyfully proclaim what God has done and is doing in our lives. When I think of that, I think that is a group of believers that I believe God would be pleased with. That is a group of believers I want to be a part of. And that's the type of follower of Jesus that I desperately desire to be. Desperately desire to be. One who lives each day knowing Jesus can, learning to focus on him and not my fears, and joyfully proclaiming what God has done in my life. My prayer today as we close up and head out those doors into our mission fields, may today be the day that we recommit to focus on him and not our fears and proclaim for our world the hope we have in a Jesus who can. Let's pray. Actually, let's all go ahead and stand up with your heads bowed. Um, this, I just think this next song we're going to sing, we just need to be standing for it. Um, Father, we, uh, we thank you for your word. And we thank you for the reminder that no matter what is going on in our lives and what we're dealing with, You're a Jesus who can, and you're a Jesus who does. And, uh, and so often we just get so bogged down in the things around us that we just lose, or I just lose sight of that. And uh, Lord, there's, there's just so much hope that is there. And I just, uh, 
I pray for me and for everyone here, Lord, that you would just increase our faith in you. That you would just increase our faith in the Jesus who can. And that you would make our prayers align with that. That they would be powerful before you, knowing we're praying to a God who can. Um, Lord, would you just stir that in us? And, and Lord, we're sinful beings. We, we got messes in our lives, and we will always go back to or tend to drift towards our sin and just forget these words about you and who you are and what you can do. And when you do, when we do that, would you just lift us back up, dust us off, wrap your arms around us, and just get us back on that track, Father. You're such a good, good God. And uh, we just desperately need you. We need you in ways we don't even realize. And I pray as you take these words, uh, as you work in our hearts, would you just speak to each of us as we head out these doors and just use this for however you see, for however you want to purpose it. Lord, we just give it to you um, and we give the remaining of the service to you. Just have your way with it. I love you, Father. Thank you for your word. Thank you for being with us here today. And thank you for what you're going to do. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. You've been listening to a broadcast from LifePoint Church in Greenville, South Carolina. If this ministry has touched your life in some way, we would love to hear from you. Just visit our website at www.lifepointsc.org for more information. Or, if you prefer to reach us by letter, you can write to us at P.O. Box 27036, Greenville, South Carolina, 29616, USA. Until next time, may God bless you as you continue to follow Him. to see